Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, if you're a shopkeeper or a business owner, the end of the year is a time to take stock, to make adjustments, to recognize your mistakes and missed opportunities and resolve to do better in the new year, to celebrate your successes and maybe the trials you've overcome, and to ask yourself, maybe reflecting on last year's goals, have you finished what you started? Well, Jesus is finishing what he started this morning. That's why this lesson is placed on the last Sunday of the church here. And while the timing, while it might sound very odd at first, is really perfectly timed. So when you heard the gospel lesson read, did you check your phones to see what the date was? It was a Good Friday lesson, but Good Friday is months away. And if you think that was odd, next week's gospel is Palm Sunday. What's up with that? It all has to do with the end of this church year and the beginning of the next. And they both have everything to do with Christ our King, who was with us in the beginning, in the end, and everywhere in between. Today we celebrate the King who is everything we need for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. A King unlike any other. Our lesson picks up Jesus on the road to the cross, the Via Dolorosa, from the Latin meaning a way of suffering or the sorrowful way. It was a winding processional route through the old city of Jerusalem Jesus would have been taken on his way to Calvary and the cross. A cross that in that very procession was carried by a man named Simon who was visiting from Cyrene in North Africa. He was probably just a man in the crowd who had been pressed into service by the Roman soldiers leading this sad procession. So likely he was needed because the Lord was unable to carry it himself owing to the beatings and the flogging he just endured. Sure, Jesus was God, but he was also a man, just like us. His words are to the sorrowful women in the crowd, warning them not to weep for him, but for themselves, because he knew the destruction that was coming. He's just left Pontius Pilate at the Antonio Fortress. Now, Pilate was technically a governor, but his authority allowed him to rule on Rome's behalf, much like a king. And he'd been pressured by a riled up, angry crowd to uh, into allowing Jesus' crucifixion uh, in spite of his own better judgment regarding the Lord's guilt of any capital crime and his own better judgment uh, regarding keeping his own head as well if he was to be seen as not supporting Rome in the face of someone claiming to be a new king. Their conversation in his palace is a fascinating dialogue between two very different kings who ruled two very different kingdoms. The Jewish leaders who wanted Jesus dead all along had Pilate right where they wanted him, and they knew it. And it's in the midst of this tension that Jesus finds himself standing before the local ruler. Are you the king of the Jews, Pilate had asked. Is that your idea, or did someone tell you about me, Jesus replied. Am I a Jew? Your own people brought you here. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, I am not an earthly king. If I were, my followers would have fought when I was arrested by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. You are a king, then Pilate said. Well, you say that I'm a king, and you're right. I was born for that purpose, and I came to bring truth to the world. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. And then he went out again to the people, and he told them he's not guilty of any crime. Now, Pilate, who served at the whim of the emperor in Rome, was impressed with Jesus, despite outward appearances. 
But then he allowed himself to be intimidated by the Jewish church leaders who had already convicted Jesus of blasphemy during the overnight hours. Pilate's hand was being forced just as if he were the one who were on trial. And if he wanted to keep his job, he sort of was. Pilate hoped Jesus would somehow implicate himself in the charges brought against him, but Jesus wouldn't do it. He, had to, he did admit to being a king, though, which is all Pilate needed to convict him, convict him of, of treason. On the other hand, because he added that his kingdom was not of this world, Pilate couldn't in good conscience condemn him to death. Jesus was no threat to Caesar if his kingdom was of another world, you know, whatever, wherever that might be, I guess. In the end, he handed Jesus over to be crucified in spite of what he knew to be trumped up charges, simply in order to make a show of his loyalty to the Roman emperor. His only concession to Jesus' kingship was a sign nailed to the Lord's cross above his head that read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. What Pilate may have sensed but didn't act on, and what people miss today before the Holy Spirit works faith in their hearts, was that he was already standing on the brink of that other world. That alternative kingdom Jesus was talking about, this, this other kingdom, was right before him. It's a stark picture of a kingdom ruled by the power of the sword over an opposition to one ruled by the power of love. Of a kingdom driven to accumulate wealth in which there can never be enough over against one that announces blessed are the poor. One, in which, one which really can never seem to have enough money and the other one who loves it to, to, to give it away to those in need. One that believes the weak must always serve the strong. The other believes that the strong will always be there to serve the weak. Where the last shall be first and the first last. One demands a justice that dictates we get what we deserve. The other is founded upon giving people what they absolutely don't deserve. Mercy and forgiveness. Not payback and revenge are what really matter in that world. In Jesus' kingdom. And so we celebrate it this morning. One believes you have to prove yourself that there are no shortcuts, there are always obligations to be fulfilled, conditions to be met. You deserve only what you've earned. The other gives freely, adopts its people as children of the king because King Jesus already filled our obligations for us when he lived as one of us, um, when he suffered and died for us, and when he rose from the dead to prove his ultimate kingship, even over the power of death itself. No earthly king can make the promise Jesus made to that believing thief on the cross. No one, because no earthly kingdom can offer forgiveness and eternal life. But Jesus is both human and divine, true God and true man. And so his words give us the assurance that we too will be with him in paradise. Two kings, face to face, one raised in riches and royalty, the other uh, not so much. Now, Christian author Bruce Marciano was once speaking to inmates in a prison chapel in South Africa. In plain words, to a group of men living with no hope, uh, this is what he said about Jesus in everyday terms that plain, everyday people could relate to. He said, you think you had it rough as a kid? This guy was born in a barn. His first bed was a feed trough. He wasn't even two years old and people were trying to kill him. He has to hide out with his mom and dad on the run and just a baby. And that went on his entire life. Folks always plotting to kill him, and eventually they did. Did you grow up laughed at and kicked around? 
Imagine Jesus hearing the laughs about his mom being pregnant before she was married, getting teased and spit at by the other kids because of it. Did you grow up with other, without a mother or a father? Uh, divorce or death or, or uh, maybe they just walked out on you. You know, he said, Joseph is never mentioned after Jesus is 12. Nobody knows for sure what happened to him, but most, most experts figure he must have died when Jesus was just a kid. Yeah, guys, Jesus knows that heartbreak too. Imagine him standing at his, his dad's grave. And as his eldest son, he'd have to carry on and support the family. See him in his dad's workshop. You know, that first day, reaching for his father's tools, tears streaming down his face. And just a kid. Ever had no place to sleep? Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Those are the words of Jesus. He even knows what it's like to have no place to live. You know, sleeping around campfires or on other people's floors. Ever had anyone beat your face in? Uh, you guessed it. The Bible says that they beat Jesus so badly you couldn't even tell he was a human being. Friends run out on you? Jesus had a couple of choice buddies named Judas and Peter. And he knows what it's like to be in a place like this. He knows because they locked him up once. Yeah, Jesus knows, guys. He knows every struggle, every heartache. And not just because he's God and God knows everything, but because he was also a man. He went through the same things that you and I go through and more. He knows because he lived it. He's been there. That's awesome, right? We always want to tell people about Jesus in all kind of, kinds of flowery King Jamesy language. King Jamesy is one to look up for Scrabble. But... <laughs> But really, uh, it helps you realize that he's some special kind of king, a crucified king who died for us and rose again from the dead on Easter morning to rule at the right hand of God, even today. You know, Jesus finishing what he started looks like Christ on the cross. Easter is our proof. And then to realize that he did it all, that he put up with it all, that he suffered it all, went, went through it all for you and me. That's a king I can follow, a king I can respect and embrace. That's a king I can love and share with others because he first loved me. That's a king I can give my allegiance to and be glad he's in charge because he didn't grow up in a palace who still walks through this life with us all the way into the next. A king for this world and the next. A king who will surely have the last word. And when Jesus returns one day to call us to account and gather his own uh, to himself. The Bible says there are going to be people who will, will just cringe in mortal fear and terror and say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. And he won't go to Los Angeles first and then San Francisco and then New York and Paris and the next day to, to Moscow and, and, and London and, and Rome. He'll come in the clouds with a whole host of heaven and the whole world will see him at once. And they will know everything written about him in the Bible is true, including his kingship. And they'll know that it's too late to repent, but they'll believe. For those who are already part of his kingdom when that day comes, who have accepted his free gift of salvation by faith in him alone, it'll be a glorious day because it's going to mean the fulfillment of all things. They'll know that the suffering and the pain and the sorrow and the, the, the struggling in a, in a fallen, sin-filled world has finally come to an end. And that goodness and, and love and mercy are about to reign forever. 
That's our message, right? That's what we've done here together for, for the past 21 years and decades before that and, Lord willing, uh, decades to come. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and our heavenly King, Jesus Christ alone. It's your message because you're the church in this place. So on this last day of the church year, you know, we can look back. You know, have we been faithful in what we've been called to do? Preaching and teaching the cross of Christ, rejoicing as we peer into the empty tomb. We have. You know, were there times when we could have done a better job? Probably. Sometimes. You know, nobody gets everything right every time, do they? But God can run with as little as a single Bible verse you share with someone and work faith in that person's heart. That's something to remember. That it's the Holy Spirit who does the heavy lifting, the changing, who softens sin-hardened hearts. You know, we're only called to share the good news and then not put up all kinds of barriers and distractions to keep people from coming to Christ. We've managed to survive the plague around here and still keep our ministries funded and growing. Our wonderful preschool is in full swing, sharing Jesus and his love with the littlest ones. We've had to say goodbye to many old friends throughout the years, and we've been blessed to welcome many new ones. God is good. In another church at another time, a preacher was leaving his congregation, and he was shaking hands with everybody after the service, and an elderly woman came up to him with tears in her eyes. And the preacher said, well, don't cry now. I'm sure your next pastor will be much better than I am. To which the woman replied tearfully, you know, I'm not so sure. That's what they promised us when the last pastor left. <laughs> so, you won't hear that from me. You know, on this last Sunday of the church here, and my own last Sunday as your pastor, you know, know that I've looked back. And not just over the last year, but over the last 21 years I've been with you. And I saw that things were really going well. You know, so well that, that it would be easy for the church to just slip into neutral and coast. But churches should never be coasting. They should always be casting. There is no neutral gear in ministry. You know, when, you're, when your car is in neutral, you can begin to roll backwards. Uh, so it is with the church. So I began last spring asking myself and asking God, should I just step it up a notch? Or have I fulfilled what I was called to do in this place at this time? Is the time coming to step aside and let another pastor bring his gifts to peace to then help you run the race for the next however many years it is? Uh, whatever it is, to keep this church in high gear. And I think that's the case. But it's certainly been a great ride for us. And I've been nothing but blessed. Do I have regrets? Times I came up short? Of course I do. Uh, and if I have ever left, I'm sorry from being said. Please forgive me. And if I've ever left, thank you from being said. Let me say it now. Thank you. Reflecting on the years we've been together, it seems that we've changed one another some. Now, only you can answer how my being here has affected you, but I want to talk about how you changed me through your presence and your constant prayers. You know, preaching about how to live through something and then actually living through something are two very different things. Being a Christian doesn't make anyone bulletproof. Life and its trials happen to us all. 
But living through those challenges has a way of maturing our faith by increasing our reliance on God. And we've done that together, standing at each other's side through those times. And not just standing together through times of trial or loss, encouraging and supporting, but rejoicing in God's blessings uh, with one another through life celebrations as well. I'll let you in on something. It's kind of a secret. On the day I was installed, 21 years ago, this next week, an old churchman, many of you will remember from St. John's, named Cal Figge, he came up to me and he put his, hands on, his hand on my shoulder and he leaned in and he said, in all seriousness, this is a great call. Don't screw it up. <laughs> I can't think of a better word of advice for the pastor who follows me. Now, Pastor Figgy probably never knew it, but that, is, that advice has helped guide my ministry here. I think he would appreciate knowing that. And I hope that I haven't let him down. You know, in fact, if I could put my arm around this congregation today, everyone at once, I guess I could say to you, since I'm leaving, okay, this is a great congregation and a heavenly place to do word and sacrament ministry. Don't screw it up just because I won't be around to call you on it. (laughs) Rather, I hope that I've helped prepare you for where God wants to take this congregation next because there's always a plan. You know, Break your new shepherd in gently. Love him as you've loved me. Support him with your time, your many talents, and your treasures. Hold him up in prayer. Receive him as one sent to you from God. There's a wonderful future in store for you. I know it. I'm sure of it. All you have to do is what the thief on the cross did. Trust in Jesus. Look forward to what he has waiting. And one day when your race is finally run, you too will hear him say, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. So finally, my friends, in the words often misattributed to that great theologian Winnie the Pooh, (laughs) how lucky I am to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard. Amen. And now may that peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.